Filmmaker Commentary, episode 36. Welcome to Filmmaker Commentary, where we give you insights from our favorite filmmaking commentaries. These commentaries can be heard on your DVD and Blu-rays of your favorite movies. We'll show you how you can use these commentaries and apply them to improve your video production and filmmaking techniques. All of this here on Filmmaker Commentary. I'm your host, Reginald Titus Jr. All right, y'all. Welcome to another episode of Filmmaker Commentary. I'm Reginald Titus Jr. I'm joined with Casey G. Smith. Welcome back, sir. Good to be back, sir. So today we review Reanimator, directed by Stuart Gordon. Oh, yeah. What year was this? <laughs> 1985. Okay. This was a budget between 800000 and 900000 um, It made at the American box office about $2 million bucks. Or that's, what do you have? Yeah, I've got the same. That's, oh, yeah. That's a massive win. That's a really good win. <laughs> and this is like a straight up independent film, you know, financed by one guy. Yes. Uh, his name is Brian Usna. Yes. So I'm going to jump into the synopsis real quick. Deep within the morgue of Miskatonic University, Madman Herbert West introduces fellow graduate student Dan Kane, played by Bruce Abbott, to his formula for the reanimation of fresh corpses. But the secret of life and death has some very messy consequences. Get ready to experience one of the most outrageously inventive, over-the-top classic horror films of all time. Reanimator. And it's H.P. Lovecraft's Reanimator. Yes, it is. So I, I like that they put the name um, kind of like uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. So, you know. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Ah. There you go. Uh-huh. And like uh, how they sourced for this film, you know, it was in the public domain. So free material. Absolutely. Which is, again, that's that's brilliant to do. And but even figuring out the format, you know, they want to do it in, in, in a serialized form initially and then figured out, came upon that it would be you know, best as a as a film. This would be interesting to see somebody revisit it in a in a serialized format, especially with the way you know streaming is nowadays. I didn't expect to like this film. But I do. I was pleasantly surprised. Likewise. I think I think that's probably what a lot of people say coming out of it. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people come out and say, wow, I, I didn't expect to, but I, I like this. Yeah. I bought this on Blu-ray again. What, this came out in 1985, right? When I looked at it, the reason I got this <laughs> was cheap. It was like five bucks or something like that. But um, I always hear about Reanimator, like uh, looking at Lloyd Kaufman stuff and like some of the older filmmakers that are like the age of uh, Stewart now. They, you know, referring to like older stuff and things they look up to. Reanimator always gets brought up. And I'm like, you know, I saw it. I was like, let me go ahead and grab it. But I just wasn't motivated to watch it. And like you say, you look on the cover and it's this key art that you were, you know, you were referring to the key. Yes. Art. I mean, I'd seen it for years pop mm-hmm. up on multiple streaming services. And of course, like it happens sometimes, finally, when you're ready to go and watch something on this, you know, then it's not there. Yeah. You know, I, I searched, you know, multiple platforms and I was like, now you're not here. Okay. That, that's fine. But I'd seen it and I, I would see the key art and it's, you know, it's a beautifully uh, drawn image and I would see it and even in the name reanimator. I'm like, okay, is this like a is this an animated feature? Mm-hmm. And then I look at some of the images. I'm like, Oh, this, this is like a, a B horror movie. Right. And I was like, ah, I'm moving on. And I, <laughs> and I wouldn't dive in and watch it. And, and unlike you, I hadn't heard much about it. Mm-hmm. So this was a very, very pleasant surprise. I'm, I'm so glad you, uh, you picked this one out. And it's like what? 80 minutes, 85 minutes. Or it something? just moves along, man. You talk about just, it's like painless. It's, it's got, it's got a, 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 some nice twists and turns mm-hmm. and, 
Yeah, I mean, everything that you would ex- expect out of a 80s horror movie. I watched this. Uh, me and the wife watched this. We're just like, okay, just, just watch this film with me real quick. You know, it's from the 80s. She's not even a fan of the 80s at all. <laughs> 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 No, sacre bleu. I don't know why I went French there, but right. <laughs> we just both really enjoyed this film. Was pleasantly surprised. I'm just like, what? I don't know. So we watched it and we had a blast. She enjoyed like, it too, huh? Yeah, just laughing oh, and stuff. Nice. It was pretty cool. Yeah, so I had again had, had never previously seen it. I've never even stumbled across parts of it because sometimes you don't realize you've seen bits of something until you see the whole thing. Right. I've never seen any of this film before. Mm-hmm. Like. Nowhere, and yeah, sat down. I watched. I watched it. Watched it. My, my spot. Watched it on Blu-ray, and just popped it in, and it just flowed through. And I got to the end. I was like, "Wow, okay." I, I wasn't what I was expecting. Some things I, I guess I was expecting, but just yeah, I really dug it. Yeah. I really, really dug it. And yeah, I was, I was, I was, I was shocked. And at times, you know, you're, you're, you're shocked. At times, you're laughing. Yeah, and it, it, it strikes those tones beautifully. And Herbert, he just the uh, what's his name Jeffrey, the guy that plays Herbert. Jeffrey that, Combs. He plays that dude like creepy, weird, just perfect. Doesn't break character. He he nails it. So here's the thing about Jeffrey Combs. Mm-hmm. So when I was listening to the documentary uh, in one of the interviews, he's mm-hmm. talking. I'm like, I've heard this guy's voice before, and I was like, man, he sounds like the guy who does the voice of of, of the question on Justice League Unlimited and Ratchet and uh, Transformers Prime. Wow. And I was like. He said it was the way he said something. He because he has this 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 cadence where he goes in and kind of dips dips <laughs> further to the back of his throat. And I was like, man, I had and I looked him up and I saw his name. I was like, but I didn't see it initially on his page. So then I, I put in Justice League Unlimited. Yeah, and went down to question. Sure enough, it's him, man. I'm like, that's crazy. oh man, spotted like, him. His, yeah, that voice, man. When he when he goes there and plays those roles, he's one of my favorite voice actors. Just on his performance that he does as the question, his is just. Fan freaking tastic! <laughs> so I was very, very, very happy to to watch him perform live and in this role. He just man stole, yes, stealing shots and everything. You know what are some? Uh, well, I can go into the, the special features of the Blu-ray uh, real quick. It's uh, has, it's a there's a documentary called Reanimator Resurrectus. Uh, there's an audio commentary with the director, Stuart Gordon. There's audio commentary with the producer and like Barbara Crompton, Jeffrey Combs, Bruce Abbott, Robert Sampson. Too many people like for not commentary. Um, there's an interview with uh, director Stuart Gordon and producer Brian. Brian Yuzna. 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 Uh, there's an interview with the writer. There's an interview with the composer. There's a music discussion by the composer. And there's an interview with Fangoria Magazine, and there's some deleted. Oh, I didn't even. I didn't know there were some deleted scenes. You didn't watch the deleted scenes? No. It's like 30 minutes, man. Are you serious? Yes. Basically, all the all that extra footage they show in the documentary. Mm-hmm. That's all deleted scene stuff. Okay. It's like 90 percent what was in the deleted. That's why I went immediately afterwards. I was like, okay, because you can't just you know sometimes they let you select. Right. It was like you had to watch all of it, and I you know I said how much how long is this like 30 minutes? <laughs> what? But <laughs> Yeah, all the deleted scenes are things like the the dream sequence he had before uh, before he woke up to the sound of uh, you know his his cat being reanimated, um, the angle that they had shot where the the doctor where uh, Doctor uh, Halsey was using hypnotic powers on people. Oh yeah, I remember I saw that shot. But yeah. it's actually it's 
it's kind of cool to see it mm-hmm. as a deleted scene. I, I think it makes sense that they that they, they left it out. it out. Yeah, but it, it's it's cool to see him because he literally literally with um, the father of of Megan, mm-hmm. uh, Doctor Doctor Hill. Yeah, the dean. Oh, you know what? Okay, I, I switched. I'm sorry. So Doctor Hill is the one using the hypnotic powers on Doctor Halsey, which okay. is Megan's father. So. When when they're having dinner together, right, and and uh, Dan and Megan come in real quick, and they and they and they head out, then Doctor Hill turns to Halsey and's like, and he starts like just talking to them, and the, and the camera is cut into a view of the fire, and he's like, you know, they have him like highlighted in mm-hmm. red, and he's just speaking these things to him, right, and just taking over his mind. And I was wondering, oh, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're good, um, I was wondering, like. Through the film, without, I haven't seen any of the deleted scenes. Like, why he was talking to people a certain way. Yep. He's like, oh, you will do this. Or you... I'm like, why is he saying he, that? Yeah, he is. And it's basically, it's a, he supposedly has a, such a strong will that he yeah. can literally talk people into things and hypnotize them. And even in the, the scene where he where he confronts uh, Wesley, da, 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 excuse me, uh, Herbert, when he confronts mm-hmm. Herbert when he, about his formula and he tells him, no, you will do this. There's, yeah. there's, there's one way where they shoot it where Herbert becomes almost like instantly subservient to him. It's, it's less of him yeah. putting up a fight, less of him uh, giving up because he's intimidated and worried about, you know, being sent to jail or whatever. Instead, it's like, I, yes, I will obey kind of thing. And mm. so they kind of shot that differently and, and changed it or maybe reshot it. But yeah, those deleted scenes. All right. Yeah. 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 yeah I was unaware. So those are the special features. This Blu-ray is jam-packed. Uh, the look of the film looks looks intact. Sometimes, sometimes these transfers are horrible, but uh, this, this is not, not the case. One. No, this one holds up pretty well. What are some themes of the film? So, some of the themes that I, I took away from Reanimator, uh, one is making life without a woman. Mm-hmm. I called. I gave it a name: Mono Creation. Ooh. And that's it's fascinating that the, the, the mono creation aspect of things because uh, in the uh, I want to say it's in the documentary or it's in the interview um, that both the director and producer have mm-hmm. uh, when when Stewart and Brian are talking with each other, one of them mentioned that somebody had mentioned to them that there are basically basically three kinds of horror movies mm-hmm. um, based on the classic kind of three monsters, you know, your your, your Frankenstein, your 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 werewolf mm-hmm. and your your vampire, mm-hmm. uh, but he says they all they are all tie into basically they all tie into kind of sexual fantasies. Uh, that the the werewolf is at the, at, at that that thing at, at every man's core. He's just a, a beast, like a sexual beast. The uh, vampire that is about having sex with a stranger. You know, mm-hmm. going in, sneaking into somebody's room to have sex with them. <laughs> <laughs> and then the the Frankenstein, or if you will, even the zombie, uh, is is they they say that it's masturbatory because it's about making life without a woman, uh, or you know, mono creation, if you will. So I was like, oh, that's super fascinating. But it's 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 very interesting that through the film again, um, these doctors, these geniuses are. You know, thinking about this great discovery, this great breakthrough, and as unnatural as it is, and yet it's the it's the woman, it's Megan's character who was like, "No, 
You know, <laughs> this is this is this is this is this is wrong. This is jacked up. And she she even tells Dan, you know, and Dan's like, oh, you know, what what Herbert and I could do together. And she's like, no, what about what we could do together? <laughs> right. You right. know, and it's yeah. like, oh man. I I even threw a little little misogyny there. You know, like maybe maybe there's a little dislike for the woman because of that. The the actors made fun of that on the part when they're downstairs and the cat's like separated. And uh, Herbert's trying to explain to Dane, like, yeah, this, this, and that. And then his girlfriend comes in and yells, ah! <laughs> and kind of interrupts while Herbert's trying to tell him what's going on. And the, aud- and the actor starts saying, oh, another woman interrupting what we're trying to do. <laughs> ah! <laughs> yeah, you can tell that Herbert is, he's actively annoyed. Yeah. Actively annoyed by, by Megan. Yeah, that, that theme, though, carries, carries throughout. And also, again, it's, it's, there is a seduction of of being able to conquer death, mm-hmm. right? And especially like those who are in the medical field. I mean, you know, the Hippocratic Oath and, and, and trying to prolong and heal and sustain life and vitality. And you could find something that would, you know, cure death. That's like the be all, you know, that's like the apex of, of um what you could do as a physician. Mm-hmm. And so, and even the notoriety, now obviously the money that would come from something like that, I mean, it's like game over, you right. know? Uh, and then even have the money to, to, to basically then yourself live forever because you would refine that formula and you definitely would use it on yourself. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, to, to become immortal. Also, I thought there was maybe a bit of a theme of, 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 of sometimes people talk about choosing the lesser of two evils, but in this instance, it's like there is a, a greater of two evils. Again, once, uh, Dr. Hill gets a hold of of uh, Herbert's formula. Once he confronts him, and you, you all of a sudden you're seeing, you know, before you thought he was just, okay, this guy's just a pompous jerk. Yeah. You know. But then you say, oh, no, this guy is a legit threat. And you almost feel for Herbert, who's a psychopath, you know, in and of himself. It's like, oh, no, there's, even, there's an even greater evil out there. So mm-hmm. it's so amazing how a production can do that. Like, okay, you've got somebody that's bad, and you're like, oh, this person's terrible. But all you have to do is introduce somebody worse yep. to change how you feel about that person who's who's really horrible as it is. As soon as you feel that way, then he gets a shovel, hits him upside the head, and decapitates yeah. him. And you're kind of like, yeah! Take that! Yeah! You thief! <laughs> Though this guy's a killer over here. Been don't, you, don't you steal from the, from the murderer? Like, what? <laughs> why, why am I rooting for... <laughs> for either of these guys but it's it's just why you go on this journey but I mean, that's also my, also that you didn't see coming mm-hmm. either like I, mm-hmm. I love how they put that that twist in like that right and um it works and then lastly another thing that i saw was the uh again laughter being a um a really used useful release mm-hmm. uh you know this this film strikes this amazing tone of, of horror and humor and but it but it plays things straight the whole time. They're not pandering to the humor. They're not trying to like set up everybody like they're doing their thing, playing it straight. And they even use musical cues at different times to kind yeah. of you know bring in they bring in the theme, and uh, that helps with it. But it's you know there are times where you, you, know, you just find yourself laughing at certain it's moments. True. I um, later on I'll talk about it, but it uh, it reminds me of the, like what the Fly Two didn't get right. They didn't get the tone right. They were trying to get the laughter in with the horror. And this is almost like fly, like a mixture of Fly 2 and Fly 1, but you got to mm. do the funny stuff like kind of separately. Um, but they got the tone right in this one and playing it straight. Like Lost Boys also. Yeah. 
Exactly. One of the themes I had is love. At the end of the day, it's a love story. Sacrifice and then um, transformation and a little bit of jealousy. Got to throw in that in there. What I thought was interesting, you mentioned love, is the fact that in the original uh, in the original story by the author, that there is there is no female character. Huh. You know, they, they tweaked and modified. Why is your name Lovecraft? <laughs> <laughs> they took Lovecraft's uh, original stories, which were period pieces, right? They were mm-hmm. set in a very different time. Uh, and even okay. the perspective of things is a little bit different. I, I, I don't think that Dan's character even has a name in, in the stories. And I think it's told from his perspective. Mm. But yeah, they actually took it, played with it, and they, they, they you know, shifted it around as needed. And they brought in uh, Megan as a, a female character. So, mm. um, yeah, I found that very fascinating. And then, like I said, you know, it is, in the day, it is a, a, a love story. There, there is a, there's a, a bit of a love, a love triangle. And we find Dan torn in between, mm-hmm. you know, you know, with, with, they say that, uh, Herbert represented, you know, love for work and profession. And obviously Megan represented, you know, love for, for, for family and, mm-hmm. and futures. Like, yeah, interesting. Crazy. Before we dive deeper into this film, we're going to talk about movies watched this past week. All right. I only have one. The show that I recently watched, it was recommended by a listener. His name's Hero Lux on Facebook. Um, the name of it is called Startup on Crackle. Good old Crackle. <laughs> he was like, I know Crackle. I was like, man, this is like nobody recommends Crackle. <laughs> hey. Yeah, but, but they're there. They're yeah, doing their thing. they got and, and it's a it's a advertised uh, video on demand platform. So you, it's basically like watching TV. But you know, you still get the you get the rated R um, in your um, in your viewing, and it's free. And there you go, free. So basically, startup. I I wrote the synopsis down, a quick little sentence of what it's about. So I, I'll say that real quick. Um, it's a desperate banker, a Haitian American gang lord, a Cuban American hacker are forced to work together to unwittingly create their version of the American dream organized crime 2.0. And so I, he, you know, he said, Hey man, I think you'll dig it. You know, we were just on Facebook kind of messaging back and forth. He said, I think you'll dig it. I said, I don't have room in my life for another <laughs> TV series. <laughs> Editing a movie right now. I was like, all right, I'll check it out. And got sucked in brother. Mm. Got sucked in. My wife is watching it with me. She really likes it because of the, um, one of the protagonists uh, being the Cuban-American hacker, you know, a strong female character. Uh, my wife really identified with her. So she was like, I like this. I'm like, All right, we're on board. How many episodes? Three. I mean, oh, the, for the whole oh. season. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I take it you're three in. Yeah, I'm three in. All right. Three, that's it. It's over. Three. Oh, that's okay. That's very, that's very palpable. Okay, that's doable. That okay. is doable. <laughs> I was like, oh, serious. wow. Okay. I, I can get on board with that. We got to pitch a three three season, I don't know, three episode season. One episode per season. You know what? I wouldn't be surprised. That would be very fascinating and doable. Like if you if you plan something out right, mm-hmm. like a, it's like a mini series. Like boom, hey, just a three episode. Yeah. Deal, and you just like pop pop pop. I mean, it's like a a really long movie. Yeah. You know, pretty much. Yeah, so three in. I think there's the third season starts in November this year. Oh wow, and they're so still, they're still rocking, going on to the third season. Yeah, huh. uh, one of the the guy did it say FBI? One guy that's playing the FBI. He is man. I'm trying to remember what he played on. He's um, a British actor, character actor. 
Um, he was in the original office with uh, Ricky Gervais. Gervais. It's not Simon Pegg, is it? Which one? What is what did he play in Simon Pegg? Uh, Hot Fuzz. Uh, he's in the Mission Impossible films, the latter Mission Impossible films. No, not films. him. Uh, but he has a very distinct look. You know, he has a comedic look. He has like some ears that stick out a little bit. You would know him as you know, as soon as you see his face, you know who I'm talking about. Is he an older guy? He's probably in his late forties by now, or mid forties, I would say. But he's he's in the mix. Yeah, and he's is a recognizable face. So when um, it starts out with him as a, uh, a dirty cop, dirty FBI agent, and the the Martin Freeman, that's him. I would recognize him. <laughs> Absolutely, would recognize yeah. him. He was in Fargo. He was in the the, the Hobbit films. Yeah, he was in Captain America: Civil War. He's plays he plays um, and in Black Panther. That's right. Duh. And he played Everett Everett K. Ross. Duh. He he's in a lot of stuff, man. He gets a lot of work. He's good. He is, and good. he has timing, his comedic timing. But he's playing a dirty FBI agent. Oh, really? Yeah. So like he starts out threatening somebody. And for some money, he's like, hey, I want half of whatever you get a in. Shakedown. Yep. And when he does that, it causes a ripple effect. And that's why all these characters are like kind of forced to be together. Mm. So I was like, I wasn't expecting this to be good. And here I am. Thanks, hero. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so that's all I got. Okay. I, I got a couple of things. That was uh, from last week. I forgot to mention that I did watch Cloak and Dagger on Freeform. For those not familiar, your resident nerd here giving you a quick update. Cloak and Dagger are uh, they're Marvel comic book characters. They made their debut debut back in the eighties. Um, their kind of whole storyline of the comics centered around like drugs. Like kind of like they were both runaway teenagers who got caught up in some drug stuff, experimented on, and they both emerged with powers that that are kind of polar opposites of each other. You know, Tandy Bowen, you know, is is has like these light powers where she can and it can produce daggers of light that you can throw at people that can harm them, hurt them and whatnot. Whereas Tyrone, he became cloak where he has these like dark energy forces where he can literally teleport and they often will just teleport and just show up. But also he can take people and suck them into his cloak and they go into this dark dimension and it creeps, it, 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 it jacks people up pretty, pretty bad mentally. Yeah. Nonetheless, the show is only 10 episodes. First season is only 10 episodes. They do a nice build up to it. And, you know, the power is emerging and, and all this stuff. It's well done. Set in Louisiana. And they even give some slight nods to kind of being a part of the of of the the TV Marvel universe. They okay. even like even make a little mention of uh, of uh, Misty Knight. It's like a little just Easter egg drop. But enjoy the show. The two actors playing the lead roles. Bang up job on their part. And, uh, yeah, if you're looking for kind of a quick a quick season of something, mm -hmm. if, you, if, you, if you dig like... Daredevil or, or Punisher, it doesn't get quite as dark as those do, but it, it is it is it is fairly dark. Again, it's because mm -hmm. it's you know ABC Freeform. It's not it's not you know, ABC. It's, yeah, it's not no, it's not family friendly. No, <laughs> not I mean, you know if you got a teenager, then yeah, that's that that's cool. But it's definitely uh, it's definitely more more mature for sure. But it's it's got some nice twists and turns, good performances. But that's Cloak and Dagger on Freeform. Then I watched two movies this weekend. Okay, first off on Friday, I went and saw. No, Saturday. Saturday morning, mm -hmm. went and saw Venom with Tom Hardy. Now, going into it, I had heard I heard some mixed reviews. Now, again, <laughs> I saw the trailer. <laughs> uh, yes, I saw I saw the trailer. I was not excited about going to okay. see it. One of my buddies wanted to see it. I said, all right, we'll, we'll do that. I had heard mixed reviews. Um, again, resident nerd here. Did pretty well this weekend. Oh, it crushed. It broke It broke October box office records. Dang. It did like... Uh, it, I, I wasn't it, expecting that. Oh, no, neither was I. I thought... Eh, I thought... I, I knew... I knew it wasn't going to bomb, 
But I didn't expect it to just blow up. But what I, I, I knew it was going to do really well. Once we went to the theater, we went, we went to a, like a 1030 showing and there was like almost no seats left. I was like, oh, this is going to crush. When you go to see a film on a Saturday morning and it's packed out, that's a high yeah. a high level indicator of how how it's going to do. They've been the putting weekend. a lot of money into marketing too. So they did, and in Venom, Venom is a. I mean, this 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 is a like almost thirty years in the making mm-hmm. for Venom. Well, I gotta take it back. Sam Raimi did Venom and Spider Man three, but uh, yes, he did. We don't talk about that. We, yeah, we don't talk. About it. It, it, <laughs> it is on Netflix though. We don't talk. I'm about just that. saying. It is. It it's is. probably making. It's probably trying to like capitalize off the wave of. Oh yeah, it makes sense to do so. If people want some kind of reference. <laughs> My son, he's a fan of the uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. He's like, I want to watch Spider-Man three. I'm like, you probably don't. <laughs> now, son, I'm trying to protect you. <laughs> don't say I didn't warn you. Now, some things that just ain't right in life. Some things just ain't right. But yeah, and, and what's you know interesting about this with with Venom is that I, you know, obviously you know the origin is different. But I'll tell you this: I enjoyed the film. What? For for what it was, was it rated I, I, R? PG thirteen. It went PG thirteen. A lot of people expected what? R. They they fainted like they were going to do rated R initially, but they went PG thirteen, and it actually it actually works for the film. Okay. They you know they they make the kind of right cutaways at the right time, and it's it's not it's not overly gruesome and bloody, um, but it actually it is it's funny, man. The okay. film the film is it's funny and enjoyable. It feels like a throwback to like the nineties comic book movies. Okay. So if you kinda of go in with that mindset, you could find some things to enjoy. For some people that tone doesn't work for them. It's not for kids. But again, if you're you know, if you're in high school, you know, teenager. My son was like, Let's high. watch Venom, let's watch Venom's well, I'm like, uh, let me hear what Casey has to say. Yeah, I I'd say I'd say I'd say it's a, again, if they're like junior high, high school, I'd say, Yeah, yeah, you know. Early elementary might might be it might be a tad much because some of the because Im- this is some of the imagery you know every I know every kid the, is different just because of the graphic the graphic because um, it's violent yeah graphics. some of the, some of the violence and maybe some of the imagery that again again every kid is different you, you know you you know your kids so you got to make that determination yeah, he wouldn't uh, talk 007 uh, in the in the theater back oh, when he was five or six double uh, seven again like. People can beat up, punch, whatever. I'm not. That doesn't bug me none. But just again, like again, these are this is an alien symbiote that's like taking over people, stuff like that. So again, that that imagery I might have bugs you at first. Yeah, you might you might, you might have to. But yeah. end of the day, I dug Venom for for what it was. It was. Well, I'm, looking, I'm looking for I'm looking forward to to the sequel. And again, I did not go in expecting to. I didn't expect to dig it. It wasn't looking good. No, it, it was not. Look, it, it was not. Bad. But you know, the visual effects, the CGI are pretty good. Tom Hardy, his performance is 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 solid. The story, the story's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a great storyline. I feel Michelle Williams is like I don't, her, her. I don't feel like her chemistry with Tom Hardy is. It's just to me, it's not. It's not. It's not there. It's not there, man. Yeah, I, I, I say that. she's a, she's a fantastic actress, but yeah. I just feel I just chemistry. Feel it's you not. can't you can't yeah. act that. I just yeah. I'm like. Mm. I, that that yeah. relationship didn't didn't work for me, but what does work is the relationship between Eddie Brock and Venom. That's the highlight. I think that's okay. what people as a whole enjoy the most. Their their banter with each other. Oh, that's hilarious. Okay, that is that's the money right there. Okay. Like more of that, please. All right, and then finally, I saw Stars Born. Everything you've been hearing about it, all, all the buzz. Yeah, I think it, that's that's real. Like this this film, the performances. You know, people have been talking a lot about about Lady Gaga's performance. Which is great, mm-hmm. but for me, Bradley Cooper, dead gum, man. Bradley Cooper, man, just, just, he just crushed it. Their chemistry, yeah, as Fuego, their chemistry <laughs> is fire. Um, and you know, all the all these supporting performances are around them. Everybody, everybody's just, just on on top of their game. 
And yeah, you know, at at the end, you know, it tugs on the heartstrings a little bit. You can hear people in the, you know, some of the sniffles going on. Uh, the the singing man, Bradley Cooper learning how to play guitar and and sing, wow. and he's singing with Lady Gaga on stage. Like, come on, and he and he's directing for the first time. Yeah, like you talk about, he like just laid it out on the table. Oh yeah, go for broke, man, and dead gum, man. This 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 film, I think, deserves whatever accolades it it receives. But yeah, uh, A Star Is Born. Um, yeah, yeah when I saw the trailer for the first time, that was months months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forgot what movie I was watching, and it popped up. I was like, ooh. I was like, this is something. Yeah, I feel like I discovered something. Mm. That's you know, it's like, am I the only one that watch that might like this? <laughs> <laughs> is it just me? Is it just me? <laughs> I might like this, but usually I can tell if a movie's gonna be good. Sometimes I'm off, but for the most part, I'm pretty good by the trailer. Like, just trailer alone. Called it. Called. Yeah, that one. I, I was like, yeah, this is it. This is money. The trailer. I mean, the trailer was was really really good. The way they they synced it up with the music and everything. So here's a question for you: Have you seen any of the previous A Star Is Born films? No. I saw the one with Barbara Streisand and, and Chris Christopherson, um, which was the the, the was previous that? one. That was in the uh, either late, uh, excuse me, either late seventies or early eighties. Okay, no. it's probably it was it's probably I want to say seventies when that one dropped. There's been like yeah. apparently like four versions of Dang. the film. So like, you can probably just make one for each generation. Yeah, I mean, more or less, the yeah. People are for yeah. that generation, and for some people, they feel like you know with storylines that 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 it's kind of a familiar trope uh, because of that. Uh, mm-hmm. But also, Judy Garland was in a version of it as well. And there's another. But the most recent one was the Barbara Streisand one. Yeah, which is again like at least 20 years ago. Okay. Yeah, didn't see that one. Yeah. Hey, Barbara. But that's uh, that's what I scoped and peeped, and I've been dabbling with some other other series, but I'll save those for another go round. Okay. Speaking of trailers, I did see the. I don't know if I even said this on the podcast. Maybe if I have, I'll just cut it out. But I saw a newer version of the Aquaman. I was like, there might be potential here. That's the one they dropped at, at the New York Comic Con, where they're running over the rooftops. And, yeah, that's. I was like, mm. uh, I might, I might rescind my last comment, but I'm not yet. But hey, the, the, cautiously, looked, yes, cautiously intrigued. Yes, fair enough. Because I kind of trashed it the first time around. I was like, ah, no, ah, I want to drown this film <laughs> right. in all the water. <laughs> but still, some of the the humor in that trailer was like it still didn't hit. Fair enough. I was like, cut that joke out. Like, yeah, yeah. When, when, sometimes when, they, when you try too hard, yeah, that's that's evident. Because you know true. he's the big swole guy. He's not Chris Hemsworth. You know what I'm saying? So, like, just cut. you know, we don't have to do that. We don't have to do that. You know, that's his thing. Like, you don't have to do that. But that's kind of how they, they how they set Aquaman up. He's you know, uh, like a bat. I dig it. You know, that's just kind of how they've how they've set up Aquaman. He's a bro. He's he's Aqua bro. Just the just the comedy, you know. Just mm. just cut that out. <laughs> just because not something's not right with it. Mm. It's not. It's almost like it's missing a beat. It feels uh, when he some of the lines he lands. It feels like it's old, it's dated. Ooh, you know. I was like, just cut it. But the trailer still looked good, so I was like, all right, maybe, mm, maybe <laughs> you gonna check it out. Maybe that's gonna be one where it's gonna be the following week. Like, understandable. For sure. Understandable. I'll probably I probably will see it opening. You know what I'm saying? I'm well, see the, that 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 release period in December. Yeah, there's so much coming out in December. Like, yeah. man, into the Spider Verse. <sighs> Speaking of which, at the end of Venom, there there was like a they show like ten minutes of footage from Into the Spider Verse. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I'm reserved. We'll see. Well, let's dive back into the show. Okay, so in Reanimator, 
there's a documentary called Reanimator Res- Res- <laughs> <laughs> What? Resurrects. Uh, uh, the guy who played Herbert, he was like, it's a time, it's a timeless movie that will never die. It just won't die. Which is kind of ironic, right? That is ironic. And it makes sense because, I mean, it's, it's living right here as we, as we talk about it right now, yeah. so many years later, uh, like just book. discovering it. Especially being on Blu-ray. So, uh, let that be a tip for your filmmakers out there. You know, you create something, if you're able to hold on to your rights for it, just kind of think of how you're going to future proof your film. This being on film, you know, they're able to, you know, put it on DVD. It was on VHS, put it on Blu-ray. You know, I'm sure to, if there's a demand, put it on 4K because film allows you to do that. The resolution of film is better than 4K, according to Robert Rodriguez. Um, hmm. Here are some bullet points uh, from that documentary. So they were doing research. Stuart Gordon, who's the director and the producer, Brian, and they watched almost every horror film from the last 10 years preparing for this film you know when we were working on a script for another potential feature mm-hmm. we were watching movies in that genre and it can get brutal <laughs> it can get brutal sometimes yeah but it, it is important to get a feel of what's been what what what's out there what worked what didn't work yeah um what what is most similar to what you're trying to create what are some pitfalls yeah, and they were looking for a way to outdo all of those films from the last 10 years and have like a unique point of view. And I think they might have pulled that off. I think they absolutely did. Um, but in, but even also still, though, in this commentary, willing to, to give credit to mm-hmm. what influenced them. So yeah, talking about how they, they watched quite a bit of a, like Rosemary's Baby. So yeah. They watched that a couple times through. I'm yeah. like, oh, man, that's I watched it once. I'm like, I think I'm good. Yeah, good for 10. <laughs> I'm good for maybe like About 15. Life. Life. That's woof. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's, it's close to mother. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's remember I said, Holy mother smokes. reminds me of Rosemary yeah. Berry. And I heard you say that. And it just, I don't know, like just thinking about it right now, it's clicking even more. See, I kind of, I kind of want to watch it again. I wouldn't mind seeing that on Blu-ray with some features behind it. Yeah. And <laughs> like more about the breakdown. But you already know that that director has a troubled past. Yeesh. Say the least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a hot one. Oh, man. So the importance of rehearsal in this documentary, talk about how they did a lot of rehearsals before the shoot and that helped them out a lot. And then, too, you know, Stuart Gordon being from, you know, stage play background, you know, he just realized he's used to, you know, rehearsing with actors anyway. So this is like second age to him. And he said most of these actors came from stage backgrounds. Like yeah. They had performed on on stage. Jeffrey Combs was just coming off winning award for a performance that he had done in a mm-hmm. production before, you know, he came into to this project. I'm a fan of rehearsals, like especially if it you're dealing with a lot of actors that they don't have a name, as in a TV or film actor if they don't have a name yet. I don't know. I think they still enjoy it. I think the actors would enjoy it. But, you know, as we, you know, we went, you know, once they get to a certain level, it's like I, they can just dial in as soon as they're like, hey, just give me a script. I'm good. I think just each actor is different. I think sometimes it For might sure. even depend on the director and even the just the chemistry of the cast. Yeah. Uh, how they, you know, some, some, I think we'll, we'll kind of enjoy going back. Yeah. All right, you know, let's, 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 let's play a little bit and, and, and practice. And some say, I, I forgot what I was listening to, but some, somebody was saying that. You actually find sometimes the the opposite, you know. It, it, you would think that on a larger budget film that's going to have, you know, maybe more scenes, maybe more whatever, that there would be more time to rehearse. 
and that on a smaller indie film that you, you think that, okay, you maybe need less time to rehearse because whatever you could say about it. But it's the opposite. On the smaller films, you typically have more time to rehearse. And on the larger films, you typically have less. It makes sense because of the schedule of your, your a working, actor. Yeah, working talent. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Um, one of the doing research, you know, they took a field trip to the morgue. And Fun. Yeah, dear God. And it helped them realize like how magical this formula would be if it was able to happen for real. So them going through the morgue, living through that, they were able to experience like you see you're, you're there looking at a dead body. And I remember uh, Brian Abbott, the actor that played Dan Kane, Bruce Abbott. He said that um, when you're there next to a dead body, like there's no rhythm, there's no pattern, there's no like heartbeat, so you you don't get nothing from that body <laughs> because it's dead. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and but you know it's like surreal though. Like you can play mm. dead, but you can still, I guess, feel the soul of the person or feel. Okay, I, you know, I see what you mean. You can feel I don't know the kinetic energy, I don't know if, or whatever, but. When it's a dead body, there's nothing. <laughs> mm. I, I see what you mean. I, yeah. see, I, I see what you mean. Yeah, when, when the when the life has left. Yeah, yeah. There is there there is there is nothing. It's nothing just, sending. Nothing coming. Nothing going. Mm-hmm. It's it's all gone. All dried up. Because uh, they say we're electricity, right? We're you know we got energy. Yeah, firing. Energy's not. So yeah. uh, like even someone to sleep and you you know can't see them breathing, but you know that they're asleep. You can sense. Them. You can feel. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to explain, but that's, like even like when somebody like walks into a room, or whatever, and you kind of, or someone's looking at you sometimes. Yeah, you know, just, people say, "Oh, I felt their eyes on yeah. me." You're like, "What are you doing?" You know, <laughs> or if you ever get caught looking, like, "Oh, oh, sorry." Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> hey guys, <laughs> I was just looking at your uh, your uh, shoes. <laughs> but you're right, and, and they also mentioned that when it came to those bodies, when they were in the morgue, seeing how they're this in plastic bags, mm-hmm. you know, not like in these like body bags and all the kind of stuff you might see in more right. kind of Hollywoodized versions of, of, of the dead. No, they're like just in bags and their skin color, you know, this varies depending on how the blood settles within them. Mm-hmm. Um, once they pass away and, and, and wanting to capture that, I was, it was interesting. You could tell they had definitely done their, their homework. So there were some reshoots in this documentary. They talk about how they had to do some reshoots. Well, it was really just one scene. And they shot a scene of the actor playing Herbert. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically how he started his research in another university and how that went wrong. And that was kind of like foreshadowing was going to be happening later on. And I guess the uh, producer, Bruce, wanted the audience to feel a tone of what this film is going to be instead yes. of just hitting them with it a little bit later. He wanted to kind of get you a, get a taste of that early on. I think that helped. Absolutely. Now, again, initially, uh, uh, I mentioned this before we started recording. Initially, when I, when I saw that opening and then as the film was progressing through, I thought, okay, was well, that a, is this, is this whole film just a flashback? And I, I thought that's where he maybe ended up that he mm-hmm. went overseas. Cause, cause he would mm-hmm. mention the, that the, the, the creator of the work by name, mm-hmm. but it, it, to me, it wasn't in a sense that that guy was dead. And so I thought, okay, maybe if something happens here and he ends up overseas going to see that doctor. But of course, once we get to the end of the film, which by the way, spoilers, we didn't uh, mention this earlier. Spoilers. <laughs> but we are and have, and we'll continue to talk spoilers. <laughs> but once you get to the end of the film and you see that, obviously, you know, he doesn't make it. I was like, oh, he's not traveling anywhere <laughs> any, anytime <laughs> soon. So that's when I realized that scene was, okay, that was, that was, a flashback in essence uh, yeah. or a progression of time. He was there and, and it's pretty bad elsewhere. that 
honestly, I think it's pretty bad. You know, that maybe that'd be a little a hole that, um, and I think the audience can be forgiven. You know, they'll forgive that. Uh, but the fact that it isn't obvious, it should be obvious. Because I was, even though it did help for tone reasons, mm-hmm. but for a storytelling standpoint, it was kind of hard to def- fill in the blank. Like, okay, did he get in trouble for this? And why is he at this university? Why like, is this- he not in jail? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what, how'd he get out? Right. Like, um, is the justice system just, that different just- <laughs> <laughs> in these other countries? One murder per lifetime. You know? I was like, uh, yeah. you know, malpractice? Is that a thing <laughs> overseas? And he's a student. Yeah. He's a student. Oh, this is the slap on the wrist. Stop. Yeah. So, the, like, there's a big gaping hole there, but, you know, people, hey, we're it's a movie. We've been entertained. It's a, it's a horror film. So, we kind of let that slide. Right? Yeah. We just go We just go with it. And so, <laughs> yeah. But it, it's totally, I think that was very important because that, mm-hmm. that scene is gory in and of itself. And it does let you know what you're in for. It does also let you know what this guy is capable of, you know, and then when he delivers that line, I gave him life. You're like, oh yeah. And that, that instantly takes me to the cover, that key art. And mm-hmm. it's just that image. I'm like, oh man. And just even the, op- I like, I like the opening sequence with the use of the colors, uh, and the pieces oh, the of anatomy. Title sequence, yeah. yeah. The title. I'm like, oh man, that's yes. Okay. I it was, works. yeah, I was like, I'm in. And that music, I'm like, okay, I'm in. <laughs> Uh, the uh, producer Brian talks about, you know, it's my money. He used basically his all his money. You know, he found a way to get financing and come up with a basically a little bit under a million bucks to get this thing made. Yeah. Wow. That's 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 hella risky. <laughs> it risky. is. And he even says that I did it wrong. You know, <laughs> I basically put all my money up there and and then made this guarantees. Been tragic. Like this really was. This was a formula for them to fail because you got a you got a million bucks basically, and a first time director who was coming from stage plays. First time producer. Yeah. This was his first film, also. Man. And and you are going for comedy and 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 horror. And you you decide to go no rating, which is could be a kiss of death, and yet. You know, they they say multiple times in the interviews and even in the commentary that they say they felt this this film was charmed, I think is the word that they used. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, I think they, they say, well, we, we, we just, you know, felt like the film was, was just charmed just from the way that it, it was received at the at the initial film festival. And then even when they, they, when they screened it in, in, yeah, when they screened it in Hollywood and the reaction from that audience... Um, they mentioned he uh, Brian mentions that he went to a, a screening in like a, a, in an inner city. Yeah, and that him and, and one of the other, somebody else they were sitting up in the in the, up in the upper levels and said it was almost an all black audience watching it. And they said that people were just like freaking out. That one guy was like standing up, like oh oh what the hell what, what the hell? And he said he would walk out, he would come back in. Oh no, man! And they said like it was like like they said the art. They just they loved it though. Yeah. And they said one guy came out after he's like, man, that's the best damn movie I ever seen in my whole life. <laughs> and you people were just it. loving it, man. <laughs> and so you got this film, you know, that is like crossing boundaries. Yeah. Um, because I mean, even the setting of that place that's very different from the hood, you know. Mm-hmm. But yet there are these these themes still played through and and. When I was watching this, I, I just assumed it was rated R. Like this is, this is a hard R. This that's what I was saying to myself. <laughs> so what's going on here? You're seeing frontal nudity. Like man, what are y'all? How did this? How did this not be NC-17? That's why I was thinking to myself why mm. the movie was going. on. I was like, 
That's rated R. This probably should be NC-17. And then after listening to the documentary, of course, it's not rated. It's unrated. So it actually helped the film it not being rated. Um, and able to for them to keep that stuff in there. What I thought was really interesting in the in the interview when they talked about when they talked about how later on there was an R-rated version released, mm-hmm. which actually did incorporate uh, some of the deleted scenes right. into it. Maybe maybe all the deleted scenes. I'm not I'm not sure. Which that's that makes for a different cut of the film for one. Yeah. But they did that, and then that got obviously you know approved by the MPAA. But then they outlawed banned the unrated version and Brian had to go in and, and fight and, and, and make a request for the R rating to be rescinded off. Mm-hmm. And so that was, at that time, it was the first time that ever happened in the history of the NPA. People had that asked for a rating to be lifted off. So they go back to showing and screening. The, yeah. The midnight showings of the film. Yeah. I'm like, wow. Because remember at this time in the eighties, you know, you're, people are watching basically pornography at movie theaters you know you got movies like deep throat that's like blockbuster <laughs> you know in, the, in these theaters called um grindhouses so right like these films do well They're making their money yes for sure um so another thing um there was a dp i can't think of the dp's name but there was one dp that came in early that helped shoot the film um, but some of you know they they were being nice. They were like, "Yeah, we just brought in somebody else." But you discover later on that he was like, kind of had to be fired. <laughs> if you look at the early scenes, they're like real dark, and you can you notice a difference when the other guy that's more experienced comes in and lights the place. Mac Alberg. Yeah, man, you you notice a difference. But that DP actually helped Stuart Gordon and kind of like held his hand through the movie making process. Without that DP, this film does nothing. You know, he's learning about the 180 rule. He's learning about, you know, what happens when you cross it and you're disorienting people. And there's a few scenes where I, I see um, uh, Herbert looking like directly at the camera. I'm like, there's no need for this shot. Huh. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, a weird, it's a weird cut because he's looking directly at the camera and then you cut away to like a side profile of him and it's like, that. why are we doing this? But hmm. it could just be the style of what uh, Stewart's doing or it just could be not knowing any better, but it, it still worked. Also, the glow stick juice as the formula, the glowing formula. They use glow stick juice. Genius, man. Just making the most of your resources <laughs> and, you know, one, keeping things safe because that stuff is highly toxic. Uh, yeah. Even though it probably, they said it splashed around all over the place when they were filming. But just, you know, having that resource on hand and being able to refill it. And they even talked about at one point having the, the eyes of the zombies glow. But sometimes less is more. Yeah, for sure. That the only thing that has this this you know otherworldly uh, sci-fi feel to it, aside from people actually you know coming back from the dead, is just when you see the actual formula, the reanimation formula, mm-hmm. just being extracted and being injected, and uh, even at the very end of the of the of the film mm-hmm. when he has a syringe, when when Dan is is putting it into to Megan. <laughs> And yeah, it's just kind of it's, everything's like kind of fading to black except that one little bit. Yeah, I like that. And then it's, and then you hear the scream. I'm like, oh man, that Credits. was that was Perfect. great. That was great. Oh, so another thing about the no no rating thing is that um, when you don't have a rating, you can't advertise a film in the newspapers at that time. I don't know if things have changed since then, but when you don't have a rating, you can't advertise it in the newspapers. That was another reason why it was bold for them to not go after a rating. You know, they were not willing to compromise their vision for for that rating. For that rating. And kudos to them for sticking to their guns and knowing knowing what they had. 
which again for first time film that's filmmaker and producer that's I wanted them to get into the um, I wish they got into more of the business stuff because even though that was uh, Bruce's first time producing a film the distributor was Empire Empire Films is that what Mm -hmm. it was Empire Films like I don't know if they just if Empire Films just wrote them a check and be like hey here's 1.5 million or whatever we got it from here on out uh, kind of thing like a distributor you know if they're buying you out I don't know how that the whole deal worked. I know they didn't distribute it themselves, obviously. Right. Well, well, again, Brian was mentioning that uh-huh. um, I think the guy who was over Empire, uh-huh. uh, again, they had gotten to some kind of thing where that guy owed Brian money. Right. And they worked out some kind of bartering system, which is kind of how Empire came on as the producing company and mm-hmm. distributor. Right. I would like to know more about that deal. I would, too, because cause it, it, Brian also may mention that later on. And this may have been where the R rating stuff happened. Later on, he came back and there was some. He had to fight some legal battles, uh, either maybe to get the rights back for the film or other things. But he had to go through some legal things, and he said that was just you know part of the learning learning experience. Because the rated R, because remember this thing is going on VHS. You know mm-hmm. that I believe a majority of this money was made from this film, from these Blu-rays, these DVDs, the VHS market at the time. Right. I don't know if some of the retailers um, or the VHS cassettes at the time required the film to be rated. So that could be a reason why Empire was like, hey, we need that rating mm. uh, for later on. Because I know a majority of the film uh, money was made from that distribution. The home, yeah, the home, home entertainment. Yeah. yeah. So that would make that would make sense for it. Why it was done that way. Yeah, this is straight up, man. Like if you're in the 80s and 90s, this would be a great blockbuster. Man. Blockbuster rental on a Friday night. Yeah, man. And then in, then public broadcast, like I don't know, like USA if USA up all night back in the day. Yep, USA, and then whatever the pay TV was at the time. I don't know even when pay TV came about, but how would this look though? Cable television, though. but I'm saying the rated R version, it'll be fine. But like on USA, like on a USA Network. Oh, it's cut to pieces. Like I, I doubt if it even was. <laughs> they, they said if they had gone with the, if they had gone with the rated R recommendation. They said when they were naive and they went initially for rating. Yeah. And they thought they thought they could get away with an R rating, <laughs> and they said the NPA just laughed. <laughs> After they saw, it, they laughed and they said, "No, you'll have about a forty-minute film if if you, you know, do these all these notes and these cuts." Uh, the actual commentary. What did you think about the commentary? itself uh, the one with Stuart Gordon I thought it I thought it was a standard commentary yeah. good etiquette introduced himself kind of he kind of got into talking about the film in different parts I kind I kind of like it when during the commentary that they're they're able to get their points out quickly and then talk to what's happening on screen oh, to this, a degree yeah, yeah. what's happening in the scene cuz there's certain things where you okay well, I wanted to learn more about that mm-hmm. sometimes you can only you can only say so much at a time and the movie is quick so I, I kind of, you know, I've got some definite forgiveness on that because this mm-hmm. movie flies. It flies by very fast. If I hadn't listened to some of the other behind-the-scenes stuff, yeah. it would have seemed more insightful. But because I watched the documentary and I watched the interview with him and and Brian, yeah, I had a lot of info yeah. of the behind-the-scenes things. Yeah. So I felt just, the same way. Yeah, that was pretty good. It seems like he got caught up watching it. <laughs> like it, it would just go mute for a minute. <laughs> yeah, this is a oh wow. Look at that, Barbara. Oh, what was I saying? <laughs> um, some some tips for your filmmakers out there. Um, he talked about self censorship. So the only time that they did a self censor censorship, I can't remember which scene it was. Um, I think I, I thought I made a note about that. 
I just didn't write what scene it was. It was like 15 minutes in. Oh, it was um, it was a scene when all of the students are looking at the professor do the brain surgery. That's right. That's right. Initially, he's I think doing that's, the autopsy. Yeah, he was doing pulling the brain out, and I was like, man, that was so gross looking, but it worked. Uh, especially when he peeled the head, the scalp back. Just the sound effect. Man, it just and they kind were like, of like an orange. Yeah, dark humor. So oh, it was like, man. and the weight was like perfect, so it looked real. But they said it just kind of went on too long. That scene went on too long. It was too gruesome. And yeah, they stuff. said it felt it felt it it didn't bring horror, but it crossed the line into being just clinical. Okay. And so it's fascinating to know that that difference between the two. Again, there there are multiple examples in the film where they figured out, okay, you know what, less is more. Mm-hmm. Whether it's whether it's not having glowing eyes on zombies, whether it's not going with a hypnosis angle, or whether it's you know pulling back from an autopsy, autopsy scene. Also, there's a tip from Stuart Gordon. He talks about just let the camera into the room. And it's a technique they learned uh, from Stanley Kubrick. And it's a scene when uh, we're following uh, Megan, played by Barbara. We're following her in the hallway. as She's discovering going through these doors and kind of seeing what's going on. And we're, and it kind of builds tension up mm-hmm. when you're following her along. Watch a lot of movies. Watch a lot of movies to learn the language. And we talked about Rosemary Baby. That was where he, the film that he watched the most. <laughs> yes, which is, wow. Three times. I think they said they watched it three times. Uh, that's a lot of Rosemary. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, like, that's like 30 years worth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's like 30 years it, worth. And he said the reason is because the camera is an active participant in that story. So it's um, he took a lot of techniques from Polanski. Yes, which ties into again also knowing you know knowing your character's purpose, what perspective they serve in the film. Mm-hmm. You know, Dan's character, uh, or or yeah, Dan Kane, his character serves as the the viewpoint for the audience, and he he is he is the he is the grounded person in this film. Mm-hmm. He can't overly freak out or go one way or get too kooky or, or weird. Excuse me, he remains grounded. Uh, it's even mentioned a couple of times that the camera often kind of sits like kind of over his shoulder at times just to, again, mm-hmm. to be that that viewpoint for for us as the audience. Another point, acting is the best special effect there is. So there's a scene where Herbert and Dan are down in the basement and they're fighting a cat that's been reanimated. Mm-hmm. And you just hear this like demented cat sound like <laughs> harassing them in the room. Oh, yeah. It's a funny sequence. Um, and then out of nowhere, the cat just attacks to Herbert and he, he's got the claws <laughs> in and it's a fake cat. Of course, you know, oh, it's yeah. like some fluffy cat, but the way that they're acting towards this cat and he like throws it to the side. It's hilarious. But then they're just like going around the room, beating on stuff like in the room. You're like, there's no cat there at all. No, but with sound effects and with the actors there, you think that there's a cat. They give the feel of, of, of terror and anticipation and when the cat jumps forward at Dan like that that's a legit that's that's a pretty good jump scare because it's like and it now it knocks him down on across the floor yeah, you see the stunt yeah and you get the feel that oh wow this thing is stronger than it was right. before and then uh when Dan like does the baseball he like baseball throws a cat against the wall that was like some of my favorite scenes in this film like they he throws a cat against the wall and then the meat from the cat like it just yeah. falls it hangs there. Was, I wonder how many times they had to shoot it to get the meat to fall from the wall perfectly like oh, that. Oh, man. That's gross. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, another thing is um, uh, they did a lot of special effects, you know, and they were done in camera because it was a low budget. You know, the blood, the paint, all that stuff had to be done in camera. The only like optical effect was like the laser. When I saw that laser, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, this is terrible. No. <laughs> did you see it? Like you could see it moving. Like it wasn't. Is that for the lobotomy when he's doing the yeah. lobotomies on people? When you see it for the first time, it's not track. Like he's moving, but the actual effect isn't moving with the hand Ooh. and you can see it. Uh, but they kind of do the, uh, they put it out of focus kind of quickly so you nah. don't see it too long. And because we're used to I'm not, I'm not focus. <laughs> unfocus. I don't even know what the gesture is to unfocus. <laughs> You're just waving your hands madly as a director. Unfocus. <laughs> uh, so, so I did notice that. That one was funny. Um, so also, as a filmmaker, they shot this film in 18 days. Yeah. In 18 days and then to almost 24 hours, some of this. Especially for the director, you know, it was his first time, so they, he's probably just working on the straight uh, adrenaline. Oh, yeah. But, you know, take care of yourself because the director actually went blind. You know, his body is literally shutting down. It luckily happened after they wrapped shooting, and <laughs> yeah. he's driving home, and he said his eyes literally just stopped working. And he had, <laughs> luckily, he had somebody else in the car with him, and they were able to, to take it over. Man, just, I mean, that's terrifying that your eyes just said, Zoop, we're done. I can see that. We're checking out. But to go along with that, you know, that's, you know, taking care of yourself on the back end, you know, on the front end, uh, he mentions that he had, uh, he storyboarded a lot of the scenes. Yep, yep. Uh, and we hear, we hear about storyboarding and pre-visualization and so, by so many of the directors who are, who are providing these awesome commentaries. And I think that's just a wonderful tip is learning how to storyboard and pre-visualize, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's a indie or whether it's blockbuster level, um, Knowing and, and clarifying your vision visually, making it easier to communicate is a must. He also mentions another tip is like the little things that you can do are the upsetting or can be upsetting. And there's a part, there's a scene where um, the um, what's the name of the professor they get? He's one of the first ones to get animated as a human. Dr. Halsey. <laughs> he's like demented. So he, is it him or the the uh, morgue person? That bites. Oh, he bites the fingers of the doctor. Of oh, the doctor, yeah. So the you, guy who doubles as a uh, for Arnold Schwarzenegger in, in Terminator and other films. Dude, the fingers are in his mouth and he just crunches them and just bites them off. I'm like, oh man, they pulled that one off. That look, that looked pretty good. Yeah, that effect was these good. practical effects, honestly, they hold up pretty well. Yeah, they hold up pretty well. Even the whole, you know, I've been decapitated and I'm controlling my body. There's there's a camp factor to that. It's mm-hmm. it's really funny, like especially when he's when he first gets brought back to his office and his head is sitting there and he's trying to direct his body oh, to yeah. go, and like yeah, he's kind of making faces, like kind of rolling his eyes at his body. It's like come on, dude, the body doesn't have any head. You're you're on the table over here. Like, Remote control head. Right? Oh man, but yeah, but those practical effects, you know, from the drill going through. Yeah, uh, that in that same scene earlier, the drill going through his chest and how they pulled that off, uh, the shovel again. That was perfect. That was like, good. Wow. I'm a fan of the, like he was doing the shovel. We've seen this a lot where somebody's stabbing somebody or doing something off to him, and then the blood squirts to them. It was like, this is going to be one of my films. <laughs> this is obvious because it's the cutaway. It's all about the cutaway and seeing the reaction and the blood squirting across. I got to get that. Thirty gallons of blood. I think this yeah. is, they said what they of, of fake blood that they used in this film. So don't be afraid to get messy. Yeah, down and dirty. Um, use your crew as the cast. 
So there was members of the team. They were used as background doctors and nurses inside um, this stage, the studio stage that was the doctor's office facility, uh, the hospital facility. The more scared your actors are, the more scared the audience is. And that's kind of a theory that Stewart had. He said, if, you know, if the actors, if you can tell that they're scared, you know, with their acting, uh, based on the reactions in the audience, will kind of go along with that. And he, they were showing the scene where um, Dan was going into shock. Mm-hmm. It's like usually people, you know, in the movies, people are like, oh my god, this, this, that's it. <laughs> and that that's that's actually a really good point, Reginald, because uh, even with uh, with Megan, with her character, she reacts in a very healthy way to the stuff she's seeing, from seeing the cat dead in the refrigerator the first time yeah. to being creeped out by um, by Herbert even just living there. Like she is so bothered by that. And actually, one of the when one of the deleted scenes. It's it's kind of it's a different it's a different uh, take of when her and Dan are sitting on the couch together. Yeah. Uh, before they discover the cat being gone, and she's even more creeped out. Like she's just like he doesn't almost doesn't want her to him to touch her. She's just so creeped out of the fact that him of him being there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they even actually show an earlier scene of the cat kind of interrupting them while they're in bed. So they introduce the cat actually a little bit earlier in one of the lead scenes. But nonetheless, the reactions to Hey, this is jacked up. I'm going to scream my head off because they say she has one of the best screams in the business. She does. She absolutely does. I was like, oh, yeah, that is a she's a scream queen. queen, Yeah, Yeah, she is a scream queen. She, you know, kudos to her, man, for the role that she plays. I mean, yes, you know, she's, you know, nude in the film and and all of that. Like, I mean, like nude all the way frontal. Yes. Yes. But, you know, like, it's very. Anatomically speaking, she's in fantastic shape, though, too. Like, amazing. (laughs) I think we talked about people were built different in the 80s. Apparently. Like, (laughs) amazing. I think the food was real then. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely amazing. She was in shape. Beautiful woman. But her performance, like, her her moments with with Danny and their chemistry is... I believe that. I, I believe good the relationship. Because usually when people, um, there's like a trade-off. So when somebody's willing to be naked in front of the, a camera and stuff like that, there's usually a trade-off with talent. You know, especially mm. how naked she was. There's usually a trade-off. People fall off like, nah, I ain't doing it. I'm not. You, well, they had someone cast, diff- a different person cast originally for that role. Right. And then she went home and he showed her mom, <laughs> she showed her mom the script. And she's like, mm, you ain't doing this. <laughs> <laughs> not while you're under this roof right <laughs> and so she, she she dropped out but you know again kudos once again to, to Barbara Crampton because she said that her and Dan like the scenes of them in the bed together that was one of the first things that they shot like right. within, within the first couple of days and this, that connection just, man, yeah. just just came through and they, they just were that it, it worked and that was, it was that was pretty smart to do that uh, and then uh, towards the end when they you know they they shot the scene where she's on the table and oh, yeah. and you know the that that the head giving head you know thing and all yeah, that kind of stuff. She's a vet by then, yeah. Yeah, but but she was willing to do that. And in one of the deleted scenes, one of the deleted scenes uh, where he has this dream, uh, this nightmare. Uh, she's in that and she's on the table and she's naked. It was almost like a, a foreshadowing kind of dream. Yeah. Uh, so, um, but yeah, you know, kudos to her for 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 being, uh, I mean, brave. That's super super brave to do what what she did. Uh, in in that way, I was I like, I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't know all that was coming. I was like, what, 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 say what? <laughs> yeah, the creepy doctor, man, doctor, 
Yeah, they played it right. And that's Man. funny, like how his uh when they did the screening and his wife Ooh. like saw it and was like, Is this what you've been doing? And she storms out. How could you? <laughs> but so but it but, so that I mean that's that's funny on a on a reactive level, but then you find out that she didn't just walk out of the thing, she like walked out of his life. Oh, really? Yeah. They oh. they mentioned it in, 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 in one of the uh either the documentary or in the interview, I think, with mm-hmm. uh with the director and producer. Um like yeah, like and he even said it like it's actually yeah. Brian is is, is telling it to to Stewart. He was like yeah, like that was like she walked out like she was done. into the relationship. It was over, and he was like, oh, I didn't know that. I was like, ooh, yeah, like. And so then they, actually they, and they cut actually this, it was in the documentary they did okay. one of the, one of the ladies it cuts to her and she says, well, you know, he he should have given her a, a heads up about it. And oh she was yeah, like, she's like, oh, sorry, I didn't. Unintended. Oh man. Why? I, I forgot about that. Yeah. Give my heads up. Give my heads yeah. up. That's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> um, an audience will accept simple special effects if they love the story. And, you know, again, talking about practical effects, doing it all in camera. And there was some cheesy stuff, but they'll let it slide, you know, with the head kind of hanging in there. You, can, you know, it's moving around. It's like, ah, we know how this is done, but we'll let it slide. We'll let it slide. You've, 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 brought, you've sucked us in. We will suspend our disbelief. So we were talking about the being funny and scary at the same time. It's impossible to do that. So you build tension and then relieve it with laughter, but you cannot be both funny and scary at the same time. And I talk about the fly. The fly tried to be funny and scary at the same time. And Mm. it's just, it's like, what are we watching? The fly too. The fly too. Yeah. Let's be clear. Yes. The fly too. The fly too. We were trying to figure like, yeah, the tone wasn't right. It was like, this part is supposed to be scary, but it's also funny at the same time. It's like, Mm. that. I don't know what kind of movie this is. Yeah. Let's say you can, though. You can get your audience to to laugh, and then while they're laughing, then scare them. Yes. It's like, okay. All yeah. Right. So in this one, it was uh, there were parts where, uh, in order to relieve that tension, uh, like, like for example, the cat scene, uh, they were looking for the cat, and it was dead, and Herb said, look behind you, and then... Uh, <laughs> and then Dan will turn around because he was scared. And right. then they'll cut back to Herbie and he'll start laughing. <laughs> and so that's the way you play it, you know, you know, whichever way, whether it be the laugh first or whatever you want to do. Uh, but that's how you do it. But you can't do both at the same time. Mm. So I'm like, okay. He learned a lot on his first film. He surely did. He surely did. They went for they went they went for the fences. So we're gonna swing for the fences. And again, just the the reception and love this film got. Again, this is not a film that I would that I would you know see and think, oh, the critics love this. Nah, it's not for it. But they did the, though. Nah, they won again at that film festival. They won an award like from the critics. Mm-hmm. What? That's pretty like awesome. Critics' Choice. That's awesome. The Critics' Choice. I'm like, wow. So they they just they struck. This is something special. Again, we, mm-hmm. we we're saying it's like there's this disbelief of I can't believe I like this as much as I as I did. <laughs> yeah, and. The, like how much time has gone by since it came out? So that's another thing. Yeah, we look at films from the early two thousand, kind of like that's kind of old. But you talking about from the eighties? Like, man, it's got some dust. But there's on there's it. a nostalgia with those as well, though. Yeah, you know, there definitely is a nostalgia with those. Um, I just can't believe I hadn't seen any of this before. I haven't either. None. There's a cool shot. There was a two way mirror. There was a shot where the the headless doctor is talking through a two way mirror to one of the zombie ish. Um, Hill talking to, to to Halsey. Hill talking to Halsey, and he's giving him instructions because he has the telekinesis. He's got the mind control thing going on there. 
Um, but they were able to superimpose an image through a two-way uh, mirror, and they did that by just changing the lighting on the different setups. So mm-hmm. they'll turn the light on behind the mirror, and then to see, uh, to see the reflection, they'll just turn the light off to see the reflection of the other guy. Uh, another cool effect I liked was that at the end, when the intestines are, are wrapping up uh, West, mm-hmm. that, that they shot that actually in reverse. I was like, yeah. uh, okay, okay. Using yeah. the old school techniques. you know, It works, though, man. It works. That one pulled off. Usually, I can tell like the the reverse effects, like like in the Bram Stoker's Dracula. You know, they did a lot of reversal effects, and sometimes you can tell, sometimes you cannot tell. It depends if like there's fabric that's moving. Sometimes you can tell when it moves mm. too quickly. Here, this one you couldn't really tell. It was like it was perfect. I cut it just right. Had a good editor. One of the last points is sex and horror go together like salt and pepper. Yes, it's it's funny how that how that goes, but that's just part of the package of being a horror film. Those themes of horror, mm-hmm. you know, the werewolf, the vampire, and the the zombie, you know, they all tend to have different the sexual themes even within within them. So yeah, we see that time and time. Again, yeah, this film got me like I want to shoot a horror film now. <laughs> like they say, everybody that watched it, some of the people's like I have been reanimated. Like basically, just being inspired, just to have fun. Yeah, and do a good product at the same time. I uh, I gotta say that I'm a, I'm a fan. Yeah, top twenty, top twenty. Ooh, yeah, just Maybe. broke in. Like, hey, I'm here. Top Y'all been 20. waiting on me. It might be twenty. They might be right at twenty. So, oh wow, not top ten. Yeah, twenty. Still though, yeah, that's a that's a that's a lot of films to jump that, ahead of. Yeah, for um, horror films. Okay, job, thank you job. for the the, yes. spe- the yes. specificity. Yeah, All right. they, yeah, they're probably like ninety something. Okay, the, the thank overall. you for clarifying yeah, that. No I was problem. like, I was like, wow, yeah, that's for real. Yeah, top twenty horror. Okay, I can feel you on that. Yeah. I can, I can, I can, I can feel you more on that. Top twenty, 20 horror. Twenty. Yeah. Twenty right right on that line. Yeah, they might sneak in there. Yeah, I'd have to make my list. I don't. I don't. I don't. I gotta have an official list because then too. I was thinking about a list just like, we have to break it down by like 80 to 85, and then from 80, 86 to 90, there's so much going on. Oh, right, you want to go by the decades, right? You, you, want, yeah. you want those, those two spirits. Eight, man, eight, eight, 85, 86, man. Just looking at this, man, like, golly, there's some, there's some horror gems, I mean, straight up in the 80s. Uh, yeah. They're awesome gems. No, there's a lot of gems, not some, there's a lot of them. We've, <laughs> we've covered a couple of them <laughs> yeah. now. Right, Alien, The Fly. The Fly. What year was that again? That's like eighty seven, late eighties, right? Because it has a nineties vibe, but it's still, it's still eighties because of the hair and the music. Eighty six. Dang. Dang. Yeah, for real. <laughs> oh my goodness. We just, I mean, when you kind of contrast the look of those of those two films, more money. Uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> question answered. <laughs> and the talent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those. The, yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes, and that comes from the director, from you know. So. That's true. That's true. Different, yeah. That's different, where money different, went to. Different paths <laughs> that, that, that these respective ones would go on to, but still being able to create anything that maintains and endures like this. Like I mean, you talk. This is a cult classic. Yeah, this is a cult classic. I would, I would love to watch this with an, with an audience of of like other like just like genre fans. Man. That would be that would be a pretty cool experience. Now having seen this, I'm like, okay, I could I, I could I could vibe with that. Just to just to yeah, if this was showing somewhere the thing, I, I'd go and check it out. What's up for next week? Next week we are going to jump into the howling. Yes, 
I don't think I've seen that film. I don't think you have. Like we, uh, we, we chatted about that before. Yeah. And then the film, like I've seen clips somewhere. You know, that's one of them, those. That movie is popular, so that was somewhere on some television somewhere, and I accidentally seen it. So parts of it. Okay. Okay. So yeah. So next week, tune in to the Howling. Also, if you would like to keep up with us, we are on social media at www.facebook.com forward slash filmmaker commentary you can also find Reginald and myself on Twitter he is at Reggie Titus I am at KCG Smith 32 and of course you can find us also on Instagram at Reginald Titus Jr. and KCG Smith 32 alright and also if you if you want us to review a movie make sure that it has commentary and uh, we'll get around to it. So for the next three episodes, we are going to be um, going over Halloween-ish films as a theme for October. Horror. Horror. There you go. Horror films for our theme in October. But um, yeah, so if you have any suggestions, feel free to type up you know, in Facebook. Give us a message. Also, if you're on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, give us a rating. Until next time, peace. Peace. peace.